The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 13 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is providing a voice through advocacy for the schizophrenia community. Schizophrenia is the most feared of the serious mental illnesses. Individuals living with it are still stigmatized, subject to discrimination, and even are abused. And their families and family caregivers carry a very heavy burden in caring for them, especially when the individuals are living at home. And I'd add also, though it's not immediately relevant to what we're going to be talking about, schizophrenia also creates challenges for health care and social services providers, for politicians and healthcare planners, and for researchers and pharmaceutical companies. Now, a further challenge to the what I'll call the family community is that individuals and their families and their family caregivers have far too few ways to draw attention to their challenges so they get the help they need. All of which and more is why our topic today, providing a voice through advocacy for the schizophrenia community, is so important for the schizophrenia schizophrenia community. Now to discuss it, our guest is Ryan Clark. Ryan, a lawyer, is the founder of Advocacy Solutions, a business committed to providing a voice to organizations and individuals through the development and implementation of impactful advocacy strategies. He holds an honors BA and a master's degree in political science. After getting those, those degrees, he went on to study law and graduated in 1993. After that, he practiced exclusively in the area of family law for almost three years. Then in 1997, he became a policy advisor within the government of Ontario. Two years later, he joined Glaxo Welcome, as it was then called. It's now called Glaxo Smith Klein Inc., where he was a senior manager in public affairs, specializing in public policy and government relations at the municipal, provincial and federal levels. Advocacy Solutions, his company, specialized in helping innovative pharmaceutical companies to secure public reimbursement for their medications. And he has taught and trained thousands of individuals, including what he calls therapeutic area leaders, to be more effective advocates in support of that objective. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you so much, Gordon. Pleasure to be here. Great. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more. Please explain your business, Advocacy Solutions. 
Sure, absolutely. So the business was founded in 2003, Gordon, and it's really focused on teaching and training people how to be effective advocates on their own behalf, typically to government, although not exclusively to government uh, in terms of the work that I do. I really provide three core services, uh, training and development, creation of strategic plans, and implementation of, uh, of, of strategies. And uh, as you mentioned, my clients include large, me- large to medium innovative pharmaceutical companies, but also patient groups and other not-for-profit uh, healthcare organizations. Okay, now let's go to the word advocacy. Please explain what advocacy actually is and what it actually involves, right? Sure. It's, it's really, I'll use a, a dictionary definition, which is verbal support or argument for a cause or a policy, but that's really not a, uh, a definition that I'm terribly fond of. So more simply than that, it's really telling your story to someone, uh, and we, that's someone we call the target. So who is the person that has the thing that you need through various means with the express purpose of compelling them to do or in some cases not to do something. It's important also to remember, Gordon, that advocacy is a process that almost always takes time to realize tangible results. It's, it's not a moment in time. It's not a single letter to a decision maker or a single interaction that solves all of your uh, problems. There is no one way to do it. It's very personal to your own style or your own comfort level. And it's your choice as to how much you want to do depending on the issue that you're trying to affect uh, change around. But perhaps more than anything as it relates to advocacy for families and individuals, it's really about empowerment. It's it's teaching people how to exert some form of control and initiate some form of action around uh, an issue that matters to them. And if I may as well, um, let me just mention a couple of reasons why I think advocacy uh, is, is important. The essence of what I teach individuals is is really what I think is a life skill. I think the ability to advocate for yourself or on behalf of a loved one is truly a life skill. And regardless of who you're advocating to, whether you're advocating to your child's teacher or your spouse's physician, I think this is something that we should all know how to do, and yet few of us are, are trained how to do it. But In life, it's important to be able to do this because, quite frankly, as the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That is, I mean, as you know, Gordon, I mean, that that is not just life, but it is government, it's politics, it's any bureaucratic structure of any note that anyone ever finds themselves working in. The squeaky wheel truly gets the grease. And that's why I feel so committed to teaching people this life skill that, so that they can navigate through all of that and, and truly get what they need. Ryan, now let's go a step further because we are talking about providing a voice through advocacy. Please say what you mean by providing a voice through advocacy and say more about how that process evolves. Ryan? Sure. So what I really mean by that, Gordon, is the three-step process that I utilize to help people build an actual advocacy plan or strategy. And I tell people, don't get uh, intimidated by the fact that I use the word strategy. It doesn't have to be a very 
large uh, plan. It just simply means that before one runs out and starts doing this, I suggest that you do a little bit of planning. And let me walk you through those three steps because th- this is really the core of, again, what I teach people how to do and the ability to make change. The first thing you need to do if you're going to advocate around any issue is you need to decide what are your key messages? What are the what are the things that the person you're advocating to needs to know about your issue? And so we talk about developing three key messages that explain the salient points of your issue in very, very simple language. Those messages need to be clear, compelling, concise, and consistent. All four of those words, they need to be. And each one should be about 25 words or less. So very, very succinct in its focus. This is what the person who has what you need, again, your target as we talk about, needs to know uh, moving forward in, uh, in this kind of work. Next, we talk about your advocacy tools. This is the, the means of delivering your key messages. And I tell people, anything that you have or produce that may be used to communicate with people is a potential tool. And I know that sounds rather vague. But it includes things like face-to-face meetings, letters, websites, petitions, postcards, social media. Some of those things are easy for an individual to use and others are more institutional or or provided by larger groups of organizations of people. And finally, your one ask. And your ask is the whole reason why we do advocacy. It's, uh, It's the goal of any advocacy plan. And I talk about uh, asking for the one thing you need and not a list of what you want. You need to actually have a tangible, this is another important point, it needs to be tangible, needs to be a real thing. You need to have one single ask of the person that you are advocating to. So again, key messages, uh, that's, that's the content they need to know, the tools, the means of delivering those messages, and then finally your one ask. That is the core, Gordon of what I teach and train people how to do, and that is the the process, if you will, for success in this area, I believe. Right. Now, I just want to go back to the point that you made, individuals and their families. That suggests a group in the way that I look at things. In other words, there are several people. How wide in the work you do, can the group be? In other words, can it be a whole community? Can it be a whole village? Just what is involved in bringing more people into the advocacy process? Just very quickly. Sure. Any number of those things, Gordon, that's the bottom line. So I work with individual people, one person who's trying to affect change, and I work with smaller groups, and then I work with very large groups, all of whom want to affect change. So the short answer is it, it, it's everybody, depending on the circumstances, quite frankly. Now, does that, again, just a swift sort of impression from you, does that create problems in identifying the individual who is actually going to do the talking and put the ask to the whoever the audience is that, that they want to get the message to. Does it? it? It certainly can. It's a good question. More often than not, though, and, uh, and, and I may talk about this as we get into this a bit further, it, is, it creates a challenge around compromise. 
So you've got 10 people sitting around the room and they're trying to decide what is it that they want to advocate for. You've got 10 different answers. Well, you can't advocate for 10 things. You can only advocate for one thing. You need to stay focused. So that's the challenge. Right. In other words, the rules are really quite tight. Um, This is a very disciplined activity. It isn't a matter. I know you haven't said it, but it isn't a matter of just standing outside shouting or holding up lots and lots of um, placards. It's a matter of thinking very carefully what the ask is and then how that is justified. Now, I know I'm summarizing back to your own work, but have I more or less got that right, the message that you want to give us at this stage? You're absolutely right, Gordon, and I distinguish it, for example, between activism or radicalism or those other types of things. That's not what this is. Advocacy is about grounding your argument in sound, reasonable, rational thought and then delivering it. Exactly. Right. Now, this is enormously helpful because, um, as we've already hinted, family caregivers, their families, the individuals – do need to get their voices heard through the systems you're talking about, advocacy, but in a way that gets some action. And what what you're suggesting to them, obey, I don't I don't say you put them as rules, but let's call them rules for the moment. Let's obey the rules when in fact um, we need to be very disciplined in what we do. Now on that rather high highfalutin point, Um, I'm going to take the break. You see, this is the point at which we have to pay the rent, so we'll take the break and we'll do it now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Ryan Clark. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel. From maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities 
properties in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Ryan Clark. Our topic is providing a voice through advocacy for the schizophrenia community. Now, Ryan, let's talk about the ways in which providing a voice through advocacy is used. You've already described a lot of it, but I'm looking perhaps for some examples to be as specific as you can. Um, how advocacy is positioned, generated and positioned in healthcare, and the trends that you're aware of. In other words, put it more bluntly, is this a growing movement, this question of this matter of voice through advocacy? Ryan, first of all, how is one's voice generated and used in healthcare, and what do you see as the trends? Ryan? Sure, Gordon. So let me answer this question on more of a, a personal level, or what I mean is a, an individual level, focusing on how one uh, should do this work. There are really two foundational pieces to how one can effectively generate uh, their voice, particularly in healthcare. Uh, number one, by telling their personal story, and number two, by building good relationships with the people uh, who have what they they need. And let me talk a little bit about uh, about each of those in turn, and then I, I certainly will comment on the trends uh, question. Um, personal stories are so important to this process. Again, especially in healthcare, it's the it's what I describe as the means by which your issue comes to life and is made uh, is made real. It's the only ability you have to connect with a, de- a decision maker. It's also the most powerful point. Uh, at which you can connect with uh, with somebody that you're advocating to. And a good personal story, and when I started doing this work, I used to talk about personal stories, and, and I used to tell people to draft their personal stories and create them, but I didn't really realize a lot of people have never done this before. And so I spend a lot of time working with people, honing their personal stories and delivering them both in writing as well as orally. Um, it's really a summary of what has happened to you as it relates to the issue at hand. It is what I describe as your perspective on the issue based on your experience, your feelings, and your attitudes. And it's also very emotional. Uh, a personal story is meant to be emotional. And in healthcare, because it is healthcare, emotions are so often drawn out into the mix. And so it's absolutely fine to be emotional. But I tell people, don't confuse emotion with sadness. It doesn't have to be a sad story. It just has to be an emotional story. You you have to share your emotion. Now, the one thing I do tell people is don't mix up uh, emotion and the logic of your argument through advocacy. In other words, Gordon, uh, advocacy is not driven by emotion. Your advocacy has to be grounded, as I said, in sound, reasonable, rational thought or argument. But emotion, through your personal story primarily, is what brings to life and what makes real the issue uh, that, you, uh, that you're putting before uh, the decision maker. Secondly, relationships. 
uh, the importance of having relationships with the people that you're advocating to is based on the premise that we are more likely to help someone that we know and like uh, than someone that we've never met. And so if you have an issue with whoever it may be, your child's teacher, your physician, your, uh, your elected representative, whoever it is, you are much more likely to get somewhere with that person if you have taken the time to invest in some measure of a relationship with them when you need something, as opposed to showing up and saying, I know I don't know you, I know we've really never spoken before, but I need you to do this for me. It's very, very difficult under those circumstances. And so again, we talk a lot about how to develop relationships, how to invest in those relationships, how to foster relationships so that they are there. And and I should I should also point out as well, Gordon, that this is a genuine exercise. I mean, this is absolutely something that uh, needs to be done and and works. This is not window dressing or disingenuous in any way, shape, or form. We're talking about actual, real relationships. And in terms of trends, let me just quickly speak to that. Access to information through the internet and social engagement, which is so ingrained with particularly the baby boom generation means that more and more people are using their voices to, to impact their, their care. It is a very, very different world than it was even I would contend five years ago in terms of the insistence uh, of the, of people's, uh, of people to be able to uh, have an impact on their healthcare uh, to challenge systems both within healthcare as well as outside of it, meaning governments and other and other institutions like that and this is a trend that's only going to continue particularly I think as baby boomers get older you're going to see uh, a lot of this here and I think it's very exciting I, I think it's I think it's uh, time that it happens and uh, I agree wholeheartedly in, in the commitment of people to be able to do this sort of work on, for, on on their own behalf and on behalf of others now for my next question I want to ask you ask it to you in this way suppose that i'm someone who wants to make his or her voice heard to generate advocacy in healthcare for a particular experience or a particular challenge that has come my way what are the ways in which you would say to me here's how to use your voice to generate advocacy right well, let me answer that question more, Gordon, on a, co- on a collective level, focusing on how groups of people can, can do this work. Because to answer, your question, to, to answer your question very simply, one of the best ways to do it is by joining forces with people uh, and, by, and, by, and becoming larger than just uh, yourself. Again, not to take away from the importance of individual advocacy, but group advocacy, particularly in healthcare, is very important. Well, you still need to definitely adhere to the foundational pieces of personal stories and relationships. Again, there is strength in numbers that should never be ignored. And within healthcare, uh, I believe that those well-organized and cohesive groups that make enough noise in a focused and sustained manner will get what they need from government, particularly uh, as it relates to advocating to, to government. Now, what I just said may sound simple enough, Gordon, but it's anything but simple to implement for most organizations. So the first thing I want to tell your listeners is, yes, it's very easy to sit here and say all of this, but it can be a real challenge. There's, there's no doubt about it. But as an individual, 
It means becoming involved in groups that represent your interests, like the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, for example, and asking those organizations to ensure that your position is reflected in the issues that they engage uh, governments around. Now, that's very clear and, and absolutely right, because what it's saying is an organization like Schizophrenia Society of Canada um, should be open, I'm not saying they're not, should be open to these voices generating advocacy. So now, now that takes me to my third question for you, which is this. How is one's voice or the group's voice used to generate advocacy in mental health care? And who should be the advocates and who should be the audience and why should they be positioned in this way? In other words, who does the talking and who does the listening and why? Ryan? It's a very good question, Gordon. So within mental health care, we still come back to the two cornerstone pieces of personal relationships, or sorry, personal stories, excuse me, and, and relationships. But I think this work needs to incorporate an element that you don't find in most other disease areas, and that's stigma, of course. I think an acknowledgement within the telling of your personal story and as you are reaching out to decision makers that mental illness has a stigma attached to it is important to using your voice. I think you really run a risk of reinforcing stigma by not acknowledging it right up front in the work that, uh, in the work that one does. In terms of who the advocate should be, the, the short answer is, is everyone. I believe that in mental health care, the patients themselves, their caregivers, health care professionals, including physicians, health care professional organizations, and patient groups all have a role to play as advocates. And that's because in part to confront the stigma issue I referred to, but also because many voices from several perspectives are better than fewer voices from a single perspective. That's a really, really important point I'm, I'm sure your audience can appreciate. And in terms of who the audience should be, well, this is where it can get very complicated in, in mental health care. Uh, and I, I'm, we'll talk a little bit about this further on, I trust. But the primary audiences or targets that I see are, are really the, the following. And I'll speak about this again from the perspective of an individual who's facing challenges. Number one, your physician and other healthcare professionals to whom you need to advocate to ensure that your loved one is getting the best care that they need. Number two, your provincially elected representative because the delivery of healthcare services and educational services and social supports are all provincial jurisdiction. Under our constitution here in Canada, they are exclusively of provincial jurisdiction. So the game is at the provincial level, largely not at the federal level. I can't emphasize that enough. And then finally, I think another primary audience is anybody who has to do with education or job supports, depending, for example, on the age of the, per of the person who has schizophrenia. Education and job supports are critically important. So any individual who's engaged in that kind of work is also a potential target. So I see those as the three primary audiences for this kind of work at an individual level. And what it, if I can summarize back to you just very quickly in this way, this is a group of people all with schizophrenia, so to speak, in their minds, but all speaking from, in one respect, 
different perspectives, but at the same time advocating for a particular thing, particular ask, a particular solution to a problem. And that kind of collectivization and unification, I'm taking this from what you said, is profoundly important, especially in, in mental health care. Now, again, have I got that right? It is profoundly in, in, important. The other reason why it's important, and I'll, I'll spill over a little bit into some of my experience having worked in in, in government, I will tell you that um, when you as a group are approaching government, if you are not unified, if you are not seen to all be on the same page, government will figure that out very quickly. And then sometimes, and I'll speak only for myself and admit that I certainly used to do this, um, you then engage in a systematic divide and conquer of that organization. Um, because if you're not united in the voice you have to government, then government is not going to have to engage you in any way, quite frankly, in which they take you seriously. Because they'll simply say, if you're not organized, then why should we deal with you? We'll go deal with a group that is organized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, we're going to have to stop this key point that you just made, simply because it's time for the break again. But we're coming back to some of these things as well. So let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Avalee, and my guest is Ryan Clark. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community, and sharingtheburden.ca, because burden is a key factor in what we've been talking about. So please stay with us. We will be back. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week? It's the fame game. Listen as Maddie Rose, who is up and coming in the world of fame, brings you fame from all walks of life. You'll hear from doctors, teachers, mentors, life heroes, as well as those in the fields of acting, movies, music, and more. Who knows? You might be the next one Maddie Rose talks to on the air. Listen for the fame game every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. Most successful people have a strategy for their personal and professional advancement. They understand the value of learning from other people who know how to reach their goals and enjoy their lives. You can live life on your terms at home, work, play, and in the community. Join Lori and industry leaders as they share practical insights with you. Only on In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Ryan Clark. Our topic is providing a voice through advocacy for the schizophrenia community. Ryan, now let's talk about the challenges associated with providing a voice through advocacy when such voices are used in connection with serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. So my first question to you is, what do you see as the greatest challenges in getting one's voice listened to and heard, and how can these challenges be overcome? And we're always talking now with, in our minds, serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. Ryan? Absolutely, Gordon. So again, let me answer this question on a on a more personal or individual level, uh, focusing on on those types of challenges. Aside from stigma, which of course I've already mentioned, I think the complexity and far-reaching effect of the disease is the greatest challenge by far. And here's what I mean by that. A serious mental illness like schizophrenia, unlike just about any other disease state, can have a virtually complete impact on the lives of people affected and their families. I certainly don't need to tell your listeners that. But from an advocacy perspective, that means that instead of just being focused on health care, a family may have issues related to education, job retraining, housing, transportation, social assistance, the criminal justice system, and that's just to name a few of, of the types of issues that, that one may face. To sort out these issues one at a time, and then generate your voice in the various directions it needs to go to solve these matters is an extremely challenging undertaking. Very, very difficult to do. And in fact, as you may know, Gordon, I do work in a number of different therapeutic areas. And when people come to me in, in all kinds of different areas, and on, in oncology and osteoporosis and all kinds of different diseases, and, and they tell me how complex it is, I just look at them and say, spend a day working in mental health and you will find out what complexity uh, truly is as it relates to this kind of work. So as someone in the schizophrenia world, um, you know, once said to me, people with breast cancer don't generally have to worry about how close the bus stop is to their house. They know how to get there. It's different in schizophrenia and severe mental illness. Everything potentially matters and everything is a potential issue. That's really my point. I think another challenge is also uh, timely access to adequate professional help. For example, wait times to see psychiatrists, as I understand it, is still a huge challenge in this in in this country, uh, and something that that you know people with severe mental illness are facing uh, all the time, uh, sort of thing. So now let me follow through this idea of challenges and how they're overcome. Mm-hmm. Now. Here's a, here's a challenge that I've sensed, and I may not be right in what I'm assuming, so correct me if you disagree, but what do you see as the greatest challenges in getting advocacy more broadly understood and responded to? And if there are such challenges, how can they be overcome? Right? Well, again, let me answer that question on a collective level. So again, I'm going to go back up to how groups like Schizophrenia Society of Canada can do this work. 
again, beyond stigma is the challenge of reaching consensus. And I alluded to this a moment ago, reaching consensus on the issues that matter most to the people involved in any broad advocacy effort around schizophrenia. And again, specifically, what I mean by this is that at any given moment, a family will be facing various issues related to the person with schizophrenia, depending on what stage of the disease they are at. For example, are they struggling to get a proper diagnosis on the one end, or is an elderly mother worried about what will happen to her 60-year-old son with schizophrenia when she passes away? The ability of a group like the Schizophrenia Society of Canada to represent this full range of issues along what I call an entire lifetime continuum of care is, again, extremely challenging. Um, And so I see that as the absolutely biggest challenge in in this area. One other challenge, though, that I do want to mention to your listeners is the preconceived notion by people, including government officials, as to what living with schizophrenia means. For example, a person with schizophrenia has a much higher probability of being a victim of crime rather than a perpetrator. Again, Gordon, you know this better than I do. And I would suggest to you that the average decision maker doesn't know that fact that I just laid out there or even realize that it's true. So when you're taking on this kind of work, and let me talk a little bit about overcoming these challenges, you need to be prepared to compromise and reach consensus on the issues that a group may advocate for in schizophrenia. I think we touched on this earlier. They may not be the issues currently facing your family, but seeing the bigger picture will ultimately pay off uh, for everyone. And as it relates to preconceived notions, for example, like the, the one I just gave, it's really relentless education to decision makers that's the key. People need to be told the truth about schizophrenia until the myths in their minds are destroyed, whether it takes a day, a month, a year, or 10 years. You just need to keep going back over and over again the truths so that people finally realize the reality. Ryan, I now want to inject money into the uh, discussion in this way. What do you see as the greatest challenges in getting funding so that people can be provided with a voice through advocacy? And how can these challenges in raising funding be overcome? Ryan? Funding your advocacy efforts can certainly be a challenge. But but the good news, Gordon, is that for an individual family, there are lots of things you can do that, that, quite frankly, don't cost any money whatsoever. So, for example, sending an email to a decision maker, attending a meeting with that person, and telling people that you are engaged in advocacy through social media channels doesn't take any money. It simply takes your time. Now, there have been cases where individuals have fundraised to get access to a medication, for example, but that's not typical in this therapeutic area. You see it much more in kind of rare diseases and that kind of thing. For broader efforts uh, involving an organization of people in support of issues related to schizophrenia, you will certainly need, you will certainly need funding to carry out uh, some of those activities. And so some of the pools of Funding that one can potentially look at are as follows. Number one, individual donations. If you're a charity, and you have to be a charity, if you're a charity, you can ask for individual donations from from people. Foundation grants, you can ask other, if you are a charity, you can ask other charities for money, charities that are specifically set up to disseminate funds to charities in Canada. But those are often very limited in scope and size. We don't have a really robust and mature 
charitable giving sector in this country as it relates to charity to charity. Government funding, well, that's almost non-existent anymore. Uh, almost non-existent. It, yeah. you, you just don't get funds from government the way you used to. Certainly not to, as I say, keep the lights on. You might get government funding to carry out a specific project, but that's a different exercise. And then finally, corporate funding, whether you're talking about from the pharmaceutical comp- uh, pharmaceutical companies or whatever. But you always have to remember that that kind of thing ebbs and flows depending on the company uh, and potentially the product portfolio uh, that they may have. So, but those are some uh, those are some of the pools that you can potentially look at. This is a very important distinction, Ryan, that you've just made, and that is to say, if you're a, an individual or a family, let's talk about a family, um, getting your thoughts together, following what I'm going to call the Ryan's rules on how to get to the point of ask, um, needn't cost any money, or if it does cost a bit of money, it might be nothing more than phone calls or something. That's profoundly important because people do these days tend to wonder how much is this going to cost me, particularly if they're family caregivers who are overburdened and really financially challenged at times. This is a very sad thing to say because they're not getting the support they need. So we're in that situation where people who most need help may not be able to get the effort together because they're too busy or may not be able to create the group um, that they need to move things ahead. So what you're saying is, and I'm repeating it back to you, is for families, um, no, it's not a matter of going to government for huge grants. It's a matter of getting your voices heard. And the way to do it is through the processes that Ryan has been describing. Again, do you agree with what I just said or not? I absolutely do, Gordon, and I know it works. Again, it is it is much more important to do this properly than to have massive resources, huge capacity, and that kind of thing. There are a lot of organizations who spend a lot of time and a lot of money going nowhere, and there's a lot of individuals by themselves with no resources who I've seen make tremendous change just because they do it right. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you a little bit more of a personal question, just briefly, and that's this. You're a lawyer, and therefore you're trained in um, delivering, uh, in questioning, in in obtaining information, and just generally grilling people. Um, (laughs) How far has that legal training assisted you in arriving at these very clear rules that you've been making clear to us? Ryan, your legal experience, in other words, how how valuable has that been to you in in your work now? It's been very valuable, Gordon, but ironically enough, it's been valuable because of the short duration of time in which I I practiced. Uh, You mentioned I I was a family law lawyer, which meant I, I was a litigator. I was in court a lot. But because I only practiced for three years, all that I learned, quite frankly, and this is the honest truth, was how to do it wrong. (laughs) Because in the first three years, you really don't know how to do it right. And so much of when I teach and train people how to do this, and I do all kinds of different sessions as long as, you know, two hours sort of thing, all of the examples I give are what I've done wrong to show you how to do it right. 
And uh, that's that's really the wonderful part of my experience. I I I wasn't around long enough to do to do it well, and I am thankful because, as they say, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your uh, your triumphs. So that's very that's, true in my case. <laughs> that's very philosophical. Thank you for that. <laughs> now it's time once again for the break, so we're going to take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Ryan Clark. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. No matter what your current situation is, you have a unique story to your life. It's a dynamically changing story that requires constant adjustments to lifestyle and environment. That includes your home. As you continue to enhance your living space, you are also making overall improvements to increase the value of your home. Join Laura Minniff each Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time for dynamic insights for your home environment on the Voice America Variety Channel. And start living now. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Ryan Clark. Our topic is providing a voice through advocacy for the schizophrenia community. Ryan, let's now talk about what more you think the Schizophrenia Society of Canada could do to promote advocacy focused on schizophrenia. In other words, I'm (laughs) I'm asking you uh, to use your critical eye, not to be critical, but to identify more things they can do in a good cause. So what more do you think the Schizophrenia Society of Canada could 
Canada could do to reach healthcare policymakers and politicians with the advocacy it, the society, promotes. Ryan? Sure. Well, let me start by saying, Gordon, that I've been working with the Schizophrenia Society in various capacities for well over 10 years, and I think they do a very good job of advocating to decision makers on behalf of the people that that they represent. They also play, as you know, a leadership role through the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health, which is an association of organizations from across the country. Now, having said that, there's always more that any organization can can be doing to reach the people in power. Uh, and again, it starts with a plan or a strategy, as, as I mentioned earlier. But this is where timing, I think, is is very, very important to keep in mind. Specifically, as we sit here today, I would suggest that once the new government is sworn in in Ottawa, uh, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada should undertake to engage as many of the new MPs as possible around the federal issues facing people with schizophrenia. Remember, I, I mentioned earlier that most issues that families will face will be provincial in jurisdiction, the delivery of health care, education, and social supports. But nevertheless, the federal government is responsible for certainly some health care issues and some other issues that do relate to families with people uh, with schizophrenia. So um, I think that uh, doing some kind of a, a mailing or an outreach uh, to all of the new MPPs would be warranted. I always advise people do this after an election. Some face-to-face meetings with some of the key MPs who've either been re-elected or perhaps some new MPs who are now coming to Ottawa, and also social media. I think uh, engaging in social media uh, uh, is very, very important because I can bet you now every single one of those MPs, if they're not on social media, they should be on social media, but I'm sure they will be. And um, they could use those three tools just right there, mailings, face-to-face meetings, and social media to start advocating to the new MPs. Right. Next one. What do you think that the Society, Schizophrenia Society of Canada, could do more to reach the mental health care professions with the advocacy that it promotes? Ryan? I must admit I don't know specifically, Gordon, what SSC has been doing this in this area as of late. I know they've traditionally had good relationships with mental health care professionals, but perhaps empowering individuals to more effectively advocate to physicians, as an example, on an individual basis might be one idea. For example, um, on, indiv- on, on previous files, I've helped organizations create personal advocacy guides, tools that a family can use to engage healthcare professionals to get the care they need uh, for their loved ones. And it's, it's the kind of guide that can walk people through the traditional trajectory of a disease, providing them with specific ideas of how to advocate to healthcare professionals around diagnosis, treatment plans, access to medications, and other health supports. Now, uh, I, I should point out, SSC, Schizophrenia Society of Canada, does have the Rays of Hope, an excellent reference manual for families and caregivers on their website. And while it provides some of the guidance that I've been talking about, the other examples I've been involved with focus exclusively on using advocacy within the care journey. And while such a document won't solve everybody's issues all of the time, uh, it would represent a good, a good tool for, uh, for people to potentially use to make change. Now, third question is, same as the previous two, what more can Schizophrenia Society of Canada do to reach the general public with the advocacy that it promotes? Ryan? 
Well, reaching the general public, Gordon, with the advocacy that the Schizophrenia Society of Canada promotes is always a challenge. Uh, in addition to stigma, obviously, there's the issue of resources. For any organization to really have a tangible impact on public perception typically takes a tremendous amount of resources. We talked a little bit about money earlier. And while the Schizophrenia Society of Canada has a lot of very good materials under their education tab on their website, one idea that I've used with success, again, on other files is the creation of what we call an ambassadors program. The idea here is to recruit and train a group of people whose sole task it is to engage the public and government decision makers in their province or local communities around issues that the organization is advocating for. They send letters and attend meetings and speak at public forums, any number of public-facing interactions, all in an effort to highlight their advocacy objectives. And we've, again, had very, very good luck with, with using that tool in the past. Now, this is the last question, and it's a bit of a loaded one, but let me, let me try it out on you. Uh, as it happens, I've had experience here in Canada uh, running um, uh, a government organization. I had the rank of deputy minister, but the title of CEO. And what I discovered was the point that everybody seemed to believe that because healthcare was a provincial responsibility, there was nothing in the healthcare field that the federal government could or should do for individual Canadians. And my work was unintentionally um, focused on destroying that myth. There is, in fact, nothing to stop an organization at the federal level from serving, shall we say, information or advocacy to Canadians living anywhere within Canada. Now, how sympathetic or not are you to that rather rancorous um, statement that I've just made? What do you think? Well, this is where you sort of raised the lawyer in me, uh, Gordon. <laughs> you know, I read Section 92 of the Constitution, and it's very clear to me that the, that the delivery of health care is exclusively of provincial jurisdiction. Now, the world does not work as simply as a few words on a piece of paper from 1867. I realize that. <laughs> uh, however, um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question, and it's fascinating. It's particularly fascinating, and boy, we could spend another hour talking just about this. It's fascinating in the context of the Canada Health Act, of course, which yes. talks about insured services delivered across Canada. That's a federal yeah. piece of legislation that, that applies across the country. And, of course, it also does not preclude provinces from agreeing to let the federal government decide that they want to take a leadership role in a particular area like the Mental Health Commission of Canada, which is a wonderful yes. example. And, that's, and that's, a, that's an area where there should be national leadership or federal leadership. No one would suggest that each province should have its own mental health commission or something like that. So right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm prepared to compromise, certainly, Gordon, on some of those things uh, within the context of healthcare. I, I agree. I agree with you. All right. I'm just going to quickly respond to you saying thank you. That's very helpful. And I think what it comes to is that if we're providing information to Canadians who are united across Canada in the challenges they face, that should not be uh, obstructed by 
provinces, and I've also worked for a province um, in my time, because it's a service that's going to, in the end, benefit the provinces just as much as it does the individuals. Now, we've run out of time. That's the end of my speech. But what I would just quickly like to say to you is maybe we should have another another episode to discuss this very point about who can say what to whom about schizophrenia. So, Ryan, thank you for sharing with us your experience, your insights and your opinions and all success to you in this work of pro promoting advocacy as you've described it and got us to understand. I want to thank our listeners. And if any listener would like to send comments, ask questions or participate in the show, the email address to use is mine, docg at familycaregiversunite, one word, dot org. And to all of you, please join us for our next episode, same place, towards, this is the title, a national policy on decriminalization of mental illness in Canada. Look forward to discussing that with you. Another tricky topic. Talk then. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you, too, have gained strength. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 